Hello and welcome to the My Workplace Culture podcast. My name is John Bradbury and I'm the founder of Workplace Culture. We help managers develop their leaders with a collaborative mastermind program called Evolving Leaders. On this podcast, I speak to leaders about the cultures that shape them and the cultures they've gone on to shape. My first guest is the Vice President of Operational Safety at Tallers Australia, Tony Broughton. Tony started his career in engineering before moving into general operations management at major companies, including the pharmaceutical giant AstraZeneca, where Tony headed operations in both Australia and the UK. Tony is incredibly passionate about the well-being of his employees. We had such a fascinating discussion, I had to spread our chat across two episodes. In the second episode, we hear about Tony's experience leading AstraZeneca's operations in the UK, and we dig deeper into the challenge of leading workplace culture. So you did this amazing um, move over to Manchester, um, Manchester with AstraZeneca. Yeah, not far from where I grew up in Sheffield. So, uh, you know, I know the weather must have been very different compared to Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a shock. Well, yeah, there's a fair bit of rain over there on the west coast. Yeah, not wrong. <laughs> well, I know Manchester's not on the coast, but over over that side of the Pennines, anyway, they get plenty of rain for sure. Definitely a new definition of wet. Yes. Yeah. So how how did that move come about, Tony? Uh, for you, over to to Manchester. Oh, I was I was asked by the the head of operations at the time to to take that a global role there. I really appreciated that. Again, one of the features of that of that culture there at AstraZeneca was that they were very deliberate about moving people around and developing people. And it wasn't because I was particularly special, or so it was just part of the way AstraZeneca operated. They they focused on internal moves and internal development and stretching people and progressing people. So um, yeah, I was asked if that opening would suit. And after a bit of discussion with the family, uh, you know, we're on a plane and in Manchester. Yeah, what a, what a change. But just on that point, yeah, that thing about the whole thing about developing people from within an organization, I think is a, that's also, it's a lovely way to value people is to say, you know, we want to develop you and we want you to be our future senior leaders. It's just, I think that sort of activity has an impact on the culture rather than always bringing in new blood. Mm. I'm, I'm not against new blood, obviously, but I think when you can develop people uh, and show that commitment, it sends a really strong message. And it sounds like Astra were doing that and you're an example of that. So that to me is a sign of a, of a good culture. So you, you, you landed in Manchester then and uh, you were global supply chain director for from in 2010 and then you moved to a different role with AstraZeneca still in Manchester. Uh, how did the Manchester culture compare to the Sydney mm-hmm. culture? I, I know what it's like coming the other way. Yeah, but it, it happened to coincide with the London Olympics where Australia did quite dismally. And I was reminded many times, I think that Yorkshire had a higher medal count than Australia in the London Olympics. Uh, but there was plenty of good banter and, yeah, the culture between the UK and Australia are not, not that dissimilar. Mm. Yeah, once once I'd adjusted my humour slightly and they'd adjusted theirs and got, got used to me. Yes. But no, we started on a, on a really good a, a, a really good footing. Did a bit of reshaping of that team, but ended up having a team around me that 
you know, really what you'd describe as the A team, the team you'd really wish for. Mm. And uh, together, we uh, yeah, we achieved some really great things. All right. And this was the supply chain team. Uh, this was the operations team. You led over 1,300 employees mm. in that role. Mm. How many direct reports did you, did, you, did you have then? Do you remember? Say something around 12, John. Yeah, something okay. like that. And, and were you conscious then of influencing the whole workforce through them? Yeah, I think I'd become more conscious and aware of of culture because if you if you go back to my twenties or even thirties, I, I hadn't really thought about the term culture. Certainly in a workplace context, uh, it wasn't really a trendy back then. But certainly by the time I was in the UK, I I was starting to understand how important it was. Uh, to empower leaders and uh, and to work through uh, a team to firstly build a strong team and to work through that team and empower them so you know we had some you know quite acute challenges at the time in in the operations mm. there in the UK and uh, quite a bit of transformation needed and so you know yeah. I, I needed a strong team there was there's no way I was going to be able to to do that with some sort of solo effort so when you when you're a team leader and you you're directly responsible for a, a small team of people you've got quite a impact on the culture of that small team you know hour by hour really minute by minute but when you're you're managing 1300 people you've got a lot of potential influence but it has to be done i guess through through those people who report to you and and ripple out from them because you know you can speak in a personal way to those those direct reports and then i think those interactions then become incredibly important because that colors how they behave with their people is that something you you thought of at the time and you were aware of i think we we know that there's a tendency for people to mirror or even mimic their leader and uh, mm. i've i've caught myself doing that uh, at times over my career and, and that could be a good thing uh, not automatically a good thing but um, I guess I work on the premise of you know rather than telling people what to do you know I just I, I just show up as myself and um, I I hope believe trust that any good leadership traits behaviors characteristics that i happen to display will, will, will get picked up on by others and and that they'll they'll follow them uh, yes there might be some coaching involved where there's a bit of encouragement and uh, uh, a bit of sharpening but generally if you show up and you just be yourself and you be authentic and then hopefully any good leadership characteristics you display will just will just rub off on other people and i've certainly led done my best to adopt you know positive leadership practices that i've seen from others from my managers over the time you do you, you pick up on them you find things you like and you find things you don't like and when you describe this as the a team then what, what were the characteristics of of that team that you think about when when you say that what were they doing that that um impressed yeah, you i've made some changes to the team and we got to the point where the people were in the right role for the right reason at the right time. So that changed over the four years that I was there because there were some individuals who were the right person for that time at the time we were in. But then 12 months later, things had shifted, the context had changed and they were no longer the right person. And so I'd make some changes around that. Where we got to as a, as a team that were, were the right 
people, very capable and yes. you know, quite aligned, I guess, in in our views around how a large complex business should be run. You know, fundamentals of operations management, but also leadership and, and culture. And not only were they, I believe, engaged but and, and capable, but we were quite aligned. We we're on a mission. We we're on a mission to um, to significantly turn around the performance and this sort of shared mission that you know there was really strong alignment behind. I once once we had that alignment, once we once we had that light on the hill, which was expressed in in the form of you know, plans and a, a three-year sort of transformation plan, but uh, having that having that north star that the leadership team were part of creating together with others and believed in, and that the, the team was just really fired up, and we we achieved some truly remarkable things together the, we hit targets that we probably previously didn't think were, were possible to hit and um and it was through that collective energy but not energy that was just allowed to just run in all different directions i think it was energy that was aligned behind quite a clear mission and there were different layers to that mission there was a very high level kind of ambitious audacious goal but then below that there was a mission and below that there were some quite specific targets and objectives and uh, one two three year metrics and and then a system of tracking the performance so it was a multi-layered thing that allowed us to to go from where we were to to where we where we got to when you think of the people in the team then how did they handle disagreements and conflict i'm sure there must have been some in that uh yeah. High performance environment. Yeah. yeah, I think we um we spent a bit of time again with an external um, coach. So we, we brought uh -huh. in a coach who really encouraged us around this idea of uh no dead cats under the table. So this <laughs> idea that if if there's a dead like if there's that. a dead cat under the table, um sure you can't see it but everybody can smell it. <laughs> and so it really is better to get it on the table, to deal with it and get it out of there. Yeah. And so we, in a sense, signed up to this idea that that there wouldn't be dead cats under the table. We we put a, a slightly nicer phrase around it in the end. We, we said our mantra as a leadership team was truth over harmony with respect. Oh, great. Oh, I really like so that. So we would always go for truth. So it was, you know, if there was a, con a point of contention, we would go for truth. We'd put truth ahead of harmony or truth over harmony, so long as that was done with respect. So it was like a mathematical equation. Imagine truth on the top of the line, harmony below the line, multiplied by respect, brought out the, the mathematician in me, the engineer. People quickly latched onto that. It's actually uh, a saying that I picked up from a previous managing director at AstraZeneca. And yeah, okay. We ran with that. And uh, so I think we set that up as a as a standard and gave people yeah. permission to to be honest and respect, respectful. So it, it wasn't a license to say whatever you want to say, to tear people no. down, to criticise. There had to be respect. 
uh-huh. at the core. Uh-huh. But that did allow us to have you know really difficult conversations. My my HR at the time was was great at it. She's better at it than I was, and she put some dead cats on the table. So whew, man, that that stinks. <laughs> but we really needed to deal with, with with them. And Jane was just such a great ally and colleague to yeah. have um, yeah. because she um, she really had the interests of the whole organisation at heart, all of the workers and. She presented problems, challenges, issues in that context, not to score points, not to be the smartest person in the room, not not to be a pain, but we need to deal with this. We need to fix this problem. And so I think there's something about the intention behind behind it as well. And, you know, I just had a, a, a team around me that just had the best intentions for the workforce and the company, um, sort of equally balanced. And this is where local culture came in. We re- really played into the history and the heritage of, of this operation. It's a very large operation. Been in the town for 50 years. The town completely relied on its existence. And it had been in a bit of trouble and it had been on a downward, on a downward trajectory uh, in terms of volume and headcounts and investment. And uh, thankfully, all of that's uh, gone back in the other direction now. But... Yeah, people, the leaders that were, you know, very much driven by, you know, what was best for the people and for the organisation and looking for that common ground and playing into that rich vein of history. People whose parents and grandparents had worked in the, in the salt, we, we really tried to tap into that and, um, and it seemed to work. We got... Um, you know, quite a high level of, of engagement support from from all thirteen hundred staff across mm. across the multiple sites in the in the UK. Yeah. Well, when you've got that history, you know, people really, I think people really care about businesses when when there's been multiple generations involved. Uh, I've worked in companies like that, you know, and there's this sort of level of care and ownership that grows in the community, which is lovely to see. But I love this no dead cats. I think um, that speaks to what we touched on earlier, which is about cleaning up disagreements. And um, I think that is a really important aspect of creating a good culture and, you know, enabling good collaboration is that people are not willing to let any, any, any resentments fester or any disagreements go unresolved. I think when when you get a group of people that make that commitment to each other, you get a different energy in a team. And and it's difficult because, you know, not everyone is skillful at having those cleanup conversations. Again, I think this is an area where people can grow by taking a a risk and with their own vulnerability and being willing to say, hey, I didn't like what you said yesterday or I didn't like what you said in the meeting, you know, that, that upset me sort of thing, you know, and just knowing that when I'm open like that, I'm not going to get um, hammered for that. Uh, it's going to be something that um, is talked about and resolved with respect. And if you can, you know, it sounds like you had that going on there with that team for sure, you know. Um, yeah, it had to be nurtured. And uh, I would say, again, yeah. having an external coach uh, really helps because, you know, at the, at the start, right. there's, there's an amount of you know, people looking at their shoes and feeling a bit uncomfortable and, <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah, you've got to like anything. You've got to practice. You've got to start small. Yes. And you've got to work your way up. And having a having an independent coach in the room that could be the focus of attention for a while, so we're not all looking at each other or trying not to look at each other, uh, was really helpful. And 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 practicing and um, yeah, just getting better at that. But there's no question, John. You know this better than I do. That if a team's not functioning well, uh, not only does that affect performance of the team how it feels to be in that team but everyone around will pick that up and that has a subtle uh can have a subtle impact both positive and negative in how people feel about the organization you know are the, if, are the leaders getting on are they aligned are they working for you know with with the right purpose and intent in mind or are they all just at each other and uh, it's a you know, rivalry and dispute? So, yes, it's important for a number of reasons to get those settings right. Absolutely. It's not about uh, having kumbaya around the campfire. It's just no, about, no, it's not. It's just about uh, being straight with each other. Yeah. And when things are not right or if you're not happy with something, just uh, having the courage and, uh, and conviction to say, hey, in the interest of the team, I'll... I'll you know, I want to give you this feedback or let you know how that, that, that impacted me or how I feel it's impacting somebody yes. else. You know, let, let's sort that out rather than leave it hanging. Mm. I, th- I think part of it is being willing to share our emotional landscape because if we're just rational all the time, we're actually missing a part of what's going on because we're not robots. Everyone's got emotional, an, an, emotion, an internal emotional environment and if we if we're listening to that part of ourselves as well it's a more complete picture and also i think that there's usually an an enormous amount of information contained in emotions and um especially when they're spoken and heard that can take a team to a completely different place from one where it's not allowed you know we we leave our emotions at the gate so so to mm. speak and we just come in and have transactions yeah very true in operations and technical environments you know as well anywhere i've worked there's never been a shortage of metrics and measures and mechanisms and processes and systems that could uh, just completely consume your uh, your every working hour but so you've got to create room for for that other dimension and you know people's performance is related to how they're feeling and how good the relationships are uh so it's important deserves attention that that is an important part of the landscape that as i said if we don't um make room for that then we're we're actually we're we're removing an absolutely vital part of an organization and it's it takes skill to to manage that part of the organization because it's you know it's hidden a lot of the time and then it comes out and then when it does come out, you know, you want to be able to meet that and, um, and, and deal with it skillfully. It sounds like Jane was um, a great truth speaker in the team and, you know, having someone like that is just, is just fantastic because um, she wouldn't be letting any cats get too smelly. Indeed. <laughs> sounds like a gem. No deodorizer sure. allowed. Was there anything else about, in that role and you you'd like to share you know that we've covered a fair bit of ground it sounds like that was a, a pretty key moment for you career-wise yeah i think um, I, I touched on it there's not there is nothing like a crisis to galvanize people 
and to uh, create a, um, a platform for change. And so there's a lot of truth to uh, never wasting a crisis and uh, would never suggest going and creating one, of course, but um, never waste a crisis no matter what form it takes. It, it helped um, having a, uh, a crisis or a burning platform. There's, there's always an opportunity uh, and a need to, to get better, stronger as an organisation. So you've got to look for that real meaningful purpose that, that can translate into something meaningful for, for the entire workforce, uh, give people uh, some meaning to their work, uh, create that context and link people's work to that big picture. I think that's a really important role for, for a leader is not to necessarily be personally inspiring because you know, we don't all have that natural innate um, skill or, or, um, or persona, but creating different types of inspiration. And I think chiefly amongst that is, is helping connect a person's individual work to the greater good that the company is trying to achieve. So you do have to express what that greater good is, uh, and then you have to make sure that it gets translated to the everyday work uh, of people. So, you know, we spent a lot of time on that in, in the UK and, and uh, even today in yes. the current role, trying to link, you know, the company's purpose, the local purpose, if you're talking about a site or a team, uh, mm. to you know to what that means every day i think it's important in that example then in astrazeneca the platform was about performance was it it was about getting that site performing at the right the site level had grown and evolved and uh, some aging equipment and um, yeah there'd been some challenges in the market and uh you know, there, there was there was some need for change there were cost pressures there was competition yes there were products that were coming off patent and becoming generic. Uh, so there was this, uh, this real need for change at a whole company level. And then that translated down to the, uh, the operations in the UK, the multiple sites in the UK. Um, and so you had to translate that into a local story and a need for change. Um, and then what that, what that meant for, for individuals down on a, on a production line or in a lab or in, a, in an R&D facility. And... Um, if you don't make that connection for people, then they may or may not make that connection themselves. And they may or may not find, therefore, the full potential purpose and meaning in their work. You know, am I just packing boxes or am I, am I part of something bigger, more important here? And on a personal note, I've, I've never felt profit to be a particularly motivating thing. So if we can find a purpose in our organisations that's not just about profit, um, sure, the company has to be financially healthy and strong um, and has to need to make a profit. But, um, you know, what, what's, the, what's the human impact of the work that a company's doing? You know, what difference does it make to people, to societies, to, to uh, communities? Um, and every company needs to search for that purpose if, if it's not blatantly obvious. I think pharmaceutical companies are actually quite blessed that that, that purpose is, is really obvious, you know, making a difference to patient health, uh, even though 
the industry is quite maligned uh, sometimes um, for having ulterior motives. But um, yeah, I think it's really important for leaders that, to then bring that purpose to life and, and to talk about it in everyday language that means something to, uh, to the everyday worker. So I think um, what that uh, makes me think about is that whole thing of uh, the whole practice of acknowledgement and appreciation. Like you say, you know, profit might not mean much to someone who's, uh, you know, working odd shifts and packing boxes on a line. And, um, but what does mean something to them, I think, is the effort they put in. First of all, having a regular practice of acknowledgement and appreciation is really important because that includes people and then making sure that that's about their effort, not necessarily about the results. Because if we acknowledge someone's effort, it's very personal then. It becomes something that they're, you know, it's about them as a person and it's something that they have control over. You know, what I, I noticed working in production um, was that we can put a lot of effort in, but we don't. Actually, the days when we made the biggest effort were the days when we got the worst results. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're managing um, a crisis in a in a production situation, and this can be in any workplace situation, you might not be getting great results, and that's why there's a crisis happening. But you're certainly making an effort. So, if we acknowledge that effort that people make, they can bring that tomorrow. Keep bringing it, and feel included. So. I imagine that for 1,300 people, they must have felt acknowledged and appreciated to achieve those goals, you know, those stretch goals that they did. It's almost certain that feedback was getting to people down on the floor. Yeah, I, I hope it did. It's not an easy thing to, to be sure about because you're relying on you know, layers of an organisation to pass on that, that acknowledgement, that appreciation, that recognition and... Uh, Again, it's something that doesn't come naturally to every person or not every manager, team leader, supervisor thinks it's necessarily important or necessarily feels comfortable doing it. So, uh, again, a leader, I think, needs to demonstrate that through their own practice, acknowledging their own people and um, then trusting that that, that will flow down flow through the organisation. I've seen companies try to formulate or prescribe acknowledgement and appreciation, even have targets for how many people have been recognised or acknowledged. I don't know. That, that for me, loses its heart a little. Um, Gets a bit wooden. Yeah, I think you've got to, you just got to bring people on, on the journey. Um, yeah. And you've got to recognise every individual is unique and will respond differently as well. I learned lesson the hard way, um, thinking that uh, somebody would appreciate being not acknowledged publicly. And so I was hosting a town hall and without telling them, I asked them up onto the stage in front of, I don't know, a few hundred people and just yes. gave them uh, a, a public shout out, as it would be called today. Mortified. Absolutely mortified. <laughs> Nearly chased me out of the building after the event. <laughs> like, don't you ever do that again. So, yeah, uh, yeah everybody everybody uh, is different. and. They are, aren't they? Yeah. I learned that uh, acknowledgement is a personal thing. I, I think, John, senior leader, being present and available in an organisation, walking around and acknowledging people at every level of the organisation, not relying on the cascade. Now, you can't do that with every person in an organisation if it's a large organisation. 
but you can um, make a point of, of going to different places and meeting people who you don't normally meet without necessarily knowing whether they're doing a great job or not. Uh, you can at least point to the importance of the work they do and you can thank them for the work they do because uh, they're there right in front of you doing it. Um, yes. And I don't know. I think taking the time to do that, you know, many workers you know, would appreciate that. The other angle is, uh, um, as well as that, teammates acknowledge each other because there's nothing more powerful. Mm. You, know, you see in sporting teams uh, than getting acknowledgement from a, fellow, from a, a teammate mm. Uh, you know, slap on the back sort of thing, you know, that you see in sport is very powerful. And I think one of the reasons for that is that that teammate knows exactly what you've done. They're, they're right there with you. And, um, but people, you know, that isn't something that, you know, like you said earlier, it doesn't come naturally to everybody. Uh, so it, it's, it's something that needs to be fostered, I think. And um, I think this is why our frontline leaders are so important because they can have a strong influence over that sort of practice and encourage their team members to, to do that with each other. And that creates a, a different energy in the team. So um, I think it's such an important thing to think about acknowledgement and appreciation because it's, it isn't something that comes naturally, but when it's done well, it, it's very powerful. And it doesn't take a lot of time, you know, and but the but the effect can last a long yeah. time. So you know, it's like the return on investment is really good. Yeah, I, I learned that lesson, and I shared this story recently. When I was in the UK, I became aware of somebody who'd done a particularly great job or something, and um, I wrote them a little thank you note on literally on a post-it note with a handwritten and. Um, went and uh, sought them out and, and found them and gave them this note. It was very, very nice and very pleasant. And I think they felt good and I felt good and, and uh, didn't really think anything of it. Some years later, after I'd left AstraZeneca and I actually travelled back to the UK and had such a great time working with that team, I, I dropped in to one of the sites, the large site there in Manchester, and uh, said hello to some people and was walking through the office area and I spotted that post-it note that had been pinned on the person's office partition. Wow. And it, it struck me the, you know, the power of simple, mm. genuine kind of recognition. I, I just would have expected that note to go in the bin. Maybe not mm. immediately that I handed it to the person, but that day or the next day. Or... So I was really yeah, yeah. Um, sort of humbled and... Um, and I don't claim to be great at this, and I don't do it near enough. But uh, I was reminded, I think, of just how you never know what somebody's going through, right, on any particular day. They might be having a great day. They might be having a terrible day. They might really need a lift. Um, they might really need some encouragement. And um, we talked about how hard culture change can be in a large organisation, but you can change the immediate culture around you as a leader, right? You can even have an impact on, on one person. Um, and if you just think about the one rather than the thousands and do something about that, the thousands can, can come later and can come over time and you've got to be patient, but you can have an impact on the culture for that one person today in that moment. And maybe... Uh, we leaders get a bit 
hung up on you know, grand plans and having an impact on the thousands and the hundreds um, and lose sight of the what's in our hands right now, the, the capacity to have an impact on, on one person through a phone call or a, a catch-up, an encouragement, whatever the case may be. And it's uh, simple and it's free. Um, you just got to decide to do it. You've got to remember to do it. Yeah. Look, I was thinking about that before the call, before we came on this call, you know, it's, uh, you know, the systemizing of culture and its development is, is very challenging because I think it is about those human relationships. And, um, I, you know, I, I think the, the, there isn't any way around that, you know, you've, you've got to put in that effort on, on a personal level, I think, to if you want to, if you want to change a culture and trying to systemize, you know, like having a formula for acknowledgement appreciation, like you mentioned, you know, is it just somehow it doesn't work. You know, it's, it's something that is personal and it is worth putting in the effort. And I, I, the other thing I was thinking about was if you think about the three centers of, you know, head, heart, and what I call the action center. And I think I refer to that yeah, as very often, head, heart, and hands. Mm, so okay. Yeah. Three hands, point connection good. To hands, you're actually doing something. Yes. So I think what happens in um, many, many environments is the head and the hands are very active, but for some reason, the heart isn't always there. Mm. And I don't know why that is. It's maybe it's just that, that's might be way where we are as a species at the moment. The human species is probably at that level of development. And I think this is a growing development edge for us is the heart space and acknowledgement and appreciation is very much a heart based activity, I think, or if it isn't, it doesn't come over right. If it's coming from an open heart, then, then people see the authenticity of it. And that's how we have an impact. And I think that's the challenge. I think that's why acknowledgement and appreciation is a difficult thing for people to do because they, to do it well, you've got to drop into your heart. And if you're spending all your time in your head and in your hands, that that's a, a more difficult place to go. But I think that's certainly something I think about in my work, you know, is uh, how to include the heart. Yeah, and a lot of that is about, uh, I think, letting one's guard down, creating that environment where it's safe to do so, um, where it's normal, uh, where people can really be themselves. You know, in a professional environment, it's more so in some industries or sectors than others. You know, there's a there's a real professional persona that people feel they have to put on and keep mm -hmm. up. And, yes. um, yeah. and that's both to project an image but also to protect themselves. And um, the more we can do to strip some of that away without becoming unprofessional, being more of ourselves and who we truly are. And um, I think it helps. I think it helps. And uh, certainly I've warmed to those leaders who, you know, let their guard down and who you get to know on a, on a somewhat personal level. And again, that doesn't mean being friends or playing golf together on the weekends or necessarily. It's okay. But uh, apart from golf being complete waste of a person's time but uh, <laughs> yeah just about being real being real yeah yeah I, I don't i don't see it as being soft and mushy you know it, it's it's just about it's a certain energy that you 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 detect when someone is coming from their heart it's a slightly different energy and 
a way of being than if I'm just being purely rational. And and you can do both. You know, it's like you don't have to be camped out in one space all the time. It's a, you, you can flick between all three of those centers, you know, depending on what's required. But having access, I think, to that heart center in a professional way is is a very valuable tool to have and to think about. Yeah. So um, that's I thought it was worth touching on that because I think it is an area where that some people find difficult. So I, I noticed uh, while you were ahead of that, operation in the uk they they um they were finalists that site was a finalist in the uk manufacturer of the year award so they're obviously um doing very well to have got that far was um what was that experience like did you have to um go to a a big event somewhere and uh, it, it was it was good fun but honestly that that was part of i guess this corporate acknowledgement appreciation you know we had to go out of our way to apply for that we had to go through a process. We had to submit, you know, yeah, an application. Right. They didn't just come knocking. We were really looking for an opportunity to recognise the effort that people were putting in. I mean, we right. were only partway through the journey. We were partway through the turnaround. We were still in something of a crisis mode, I guess, but we were just starting to come out of that. It was probably midway through year two. And um, I was really searching for some external unbiased recognition um, or acknowledgement that you know, we were doing okay, we were doing okay. And um, it wasn't all as bad as it might have felt you know, 12, 18, 24 months earlier. But we had to go searching for that. We looked into a number of kind of external recognition awards programs. And uh, I won't say we found one that uh, we, we thought we could see that. We just found a suitable one and went through quite a rigorous process. And yeah, we, we got into the sort of final stages. We didn't win, but um, it was definitely energizing for the team to get that uh, recognition. And we really, we really doubled down on it. We put up big banners uh, at the sites, um, congratulations, finalists, et cetera, and had some, had some events and so on. Yeah, it was, it was maybe it was a bit cheesy. But it was a way of, I guess, yeah, reinforcing to people that you know we were doing okay, and that we had reason to feel optimistic for the future, and uh, and feel good about ourselves for the work that we were doing. Uh-huh. Mm. You you were in that role with AstraZeneca, then um, heading up UK operations, and then for some strange reason, you decided to come back to Australia. Yeah. Why would you do that? Sunshine, that to do with beaches. The Beautiful scenery, yeah. clean air, and and now you uh, you know you find yourself in this role with Talus in a senior leadership position. Can you talk a little bit about what approach you're taking there? Yeah, that's been a really interesting transition for me from pharmaceutical industry to you know technology business that uh, in Australia at least um, you know, is a large supplier of critical systems to defence. Uh, and also critical infrastructure, rail and and other. So I've had to adapt quite a lot. I've had to learn a lot. But I think the core leadership principles, you know, they remain pretty consistent. A bit of tailoring for a different type of um, audience, a different type of employee base with uh, unique sort of backgrounds and experiences, a lot of ex-military, for example. But um, I think similar approaches, you know, looking for, if you like, the the burning platform. What's the what's the mission? What's the what's the call to arms, so to speak, for, for change? And um, you know, the company's doing some some great things in terms of transforming performance. And 
I guess one of the key things I've learned the last few years is about just how important it is to bring people along on the journey. I've always known that, yeah. you know, change management mm. 101. But the more I learn about this, the more I realise you've almost got to go at the pace of the slowest, maybe not the slowest, but at least the people in the middle of the pack. Because otherwise, if, if, if you run ahead, it might feel like things are happening, but question mark, are they really happening? Or are the changes sustainable? And um, key question I ask myself now, whether it comes to culture or whether it comes to performance more generally is how sustainable are these changes? If I was to uh, not be uh, in the role I'm in, or if there were to be a number of leadership changes, would would this mission that we're on would it would it continue uninterrupted? Would it would the would the direction continue, or would it all slide back or come to nothing? So, I think building sustainability into the culture change is an interesting interesting angle to to be asking about. One that I'm thinking about, and and it comes down to checking that you know, everybody really is involved in some way uh, and able to participate in in whatever transformation it is. And so, going and checking. In my case now, in this uh, safety role, going going and checking that important changes have actually reached the front line, the people at the coalface, and um, not just assuming that that's happened. So, uh, yeah, that's that's been pretty important learning for me, still learning in the last few years. One of the things that I've experienced recently in my work is the different cultures within a company, but at different sites. You know, I, I, I'm helping a business at the moment that has multiple sites across Australia and, and learned there is that the culture at each site is very different. And um, you and I were talking about this before we started the podcast, but it's, it's, it raises the question of, should we actually be trying to make identical cultures across a business at mm. every site? And, and, and I suspect not because it's almost like culture is something that comes from the ground up and whatever culture has developed at a site, it's done so for a reason. So whatever we've got there is there for good reasons. You know, it's not, it's not um, something that's trivial and, you know, and Shine's definition talks to that depth, you know, the, 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 the fact that culture comes from the, the hidden parts of the people in the business, you know, there's these underlying assumptions. And so when people make underlying assumptions, they do that for a reason. And I think we should respect that and, and honor those first before we say the culture's all wrong here. It's like, well, actually, no, it, it's, it's absolutely right for this place right now. Yeah. And that's our starting position is that what we've got right now. And we respect that and say, well, what is good about this culture right now before we say, before we throw the baby out with, with the bathwater, we don't do that. We say we honour what's good about the culture at the moment, and that's our starting point. I think that's really important. Otherwise, people just don't feel seen and understood. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things there, John. I, I don't believe that you can force a culture uh, into an organisation, uh, and uh, certainly not a sustainable one. So... I think the challenge is to tap into the strengths of a local culture, be that a part of a business, uh, a particular cohort of employees, or, or a particular site. 
and Talus, like many companies, uh, yeah, it's made up of an eclectic mix of, of people and experiences and uh, geographic locations, and and that that's a strength. You know, we call that these days we call that diversity, and it, it is a strength. And I think learning to tap into that and not expect this uniform vanilla culture that's sort of controlled from above, but actually leveraging the benefits that come from diverse, unique cultures and, uh, and, and, and approaches to doing business well. Uh, of course, there's got to be some cornerstone common features around values and around kind of minimum leadership practices and standards uh, that, that should be observed. But beyond that, allowing teams, sites, uh, locations, functions, express the culture. You know, do, do we expect the culture to look and feel exactly the same way in the finance department as it does in the sales and marketing department as mm. it does in a manufacturing mm-hmm. site? Maybe mm-hmm. that's not the right answer. So letting, again, no, yeah, letting people be themselves uh, so long as those cornerstone expectations are clear and met uh, around sort of minimum standards of behaviours and respect and and so on. Um, but beyond that, I think what's more important rather than what what that how that culture expresses itself and whether it's uniform or not is are people connected to the mission, the vision and the purpose of the company? And then however it gets expressed on the way through, you know, as long as that connection's strong, as long as those foundational elements are there, then um, yeah, let people be themselves. I mean, I uh, I see this the whole culture piece as an evolution, um, and if we want to work on the culture of organisation, we need to somehow place ourselves at the leading edge of that evolution, and and that's why, like, when I think about what is what is the skill that I, when I look back on my career, what is the skill that I wished I'd had more of back then or you know with the benefit of hindsight what would i have done differently it would have been to listen it would have been to listen more and and i think that's when if we want to place ourselves at the leading edge of the evolving culture of a of a site or an organization then we start with listening oh it's funny you say that that's that's part of the journey that I'm on is uh, really focusing on listening and being more curious and um, taking the time to do that. I think as organisations grow and with um, everything that's going on in the world at the moment, even if you think about the context of the pandemic, people more than ever probably have this need to, to feel heard, understood, respected, valued. And so I think it's been never more important than, than it is now to, for leaders to connect. And it's challenging, right, especially with remote working and not being able to travel and not being able to interact face-to-face with people, to, to connect with, uh, with people and to foster those relationships, to, to do those basics like acknowledgement, like appreciation, uh, and to listen. Um, to find out what's really going on, what's working well, what's not working so well. And uh, often I think people just want to be heard. They don't necessarily expect their leader to solve all the problems or to take them all away and come back with solutions. Sometimes they need to do that. Sometimes that's the expectation. But 
sometimes it's just about listening uh, and acknowledging the situation oh, somebody's yeah. in. I think that's so powerful practice to have. And um, like I've, I've learned in my coaching practice that when I'm, I do much better work when I have a focus on listening. And when you do, when you do listen to people, sometimes they sort their problems out or their challenges out right in front of you without you saying much. It's just pro providing that sort of listening service is just very valuable. And I think it may be, it may be it's underrated a bit, you know, and, and and it's again, it's a practice that you can get better at um, over time. You just have to do it. Yeah, sure. It's a it's a yeah. muscle, and uh, needs yeah. to be exercised. Yes. So um, that that's a that's a really good place, I think, for us to just um, have a quick summary. And um, I've just I'll just go through the things that have stood out for me, and that the this isn't uh, the, a full list, but here's things that I wrote as we, as we were talking. Um, the first one was, you know, the way we hold people accountable, the way we do that, the conversations we have and the importance of doing that respectfully and not using blame as a tool. Um, this keyword alignment has come up several times. I think building alignment in an organization is a huge part of creating a good culture and getting the results you want. I wrote down your formula, truth over harmony multiplied by respect. <laughs> I thought that was really good. Make a mathematician um, out that, of you one day, John. Yeah, uh, that struck a chord. Yeah, a lot of work to be done for me to become a mathematician. The importance of cleanups in relationships uh, to impact the culture in a positive way so no no justified resentments, no dead cats was you know, a key point. Having big picture inspiration, sometimes a burning platform is a really powerful way to uh, create direction and uh, engagement whilst acknowledging and appreciating people's effort uh, so that they feel included. Bringing people on the journey Making change sustainable is a challenge, a huge challenge uh, from a cultural perspective. And then just finally, you know, um, cultural change is an evolution and listening is a very powerful way to place ourselves at the leading edge of that evolution. So, so before we finish, Tony, do you, do you want to say a little bit about this charity that you're involved with? Um, 180 oh, yeah. TC, I think that's a really, yeah, really noble to. cause. Yeah, 180 TC um, has been around actually for quite quite some years, I think close to uh, 40 or 50 years now. And they are in the business of, of, of helping people who found themselves in the grip of life-controlling addictions or uh, abusive relationships to, um, to turn their lives around. So... Um, they run uh, everything from prevention programs to uh, to warn kids of the perils of uh, drug and alcohol uh, abuse and addiction through to rehab programs for people who have become addicted and to help them extract themselves from that and, and turn their lives around and start contributing to uh, to society in a in a positive and meaningful way so it's a smallish charity at any one time they might have about uh, 60 people on the program across two sites, a men's and women's program here in Western Sydney. 
and just a great little charity who's got a, got a great heart for people who are struggling. I think society sometimes write, write off people with alcohol and drug addiction as you know, just people who've made bad choices. But my experience now with, with this organisation for four or five years, there's always a backstory. There's always a backstory, and it's not as simple as a person having made some bad choices. And some of these stories are just devastating to hear. And the fact that these people are still alive, still working at getting themselves out of that situation and, um, and contributing back to society, you know, people who've lost all self-worth, Who've, who've become extremely anxious, who's suffering all sorts of complex uh, mental health issues. It's, it's truly a, a pleasure and a privilege to see these lives put back together, transformed, families rebuilt and, and, and fully restored. Yeah, so thanks for the shout-out for them, John. They do a great job and it's, yes. it's a real privilege to, to be part of it. Coaching moments from episode two. To coin a phrase from episode two, are there any dead cats under your table? What unfinished business or disagreements with work colleagues do you have? Make a time to discuss these and have a clean up conversation with the person concerned. If you leave the dead cat, it will only start to smell worse until it's unbearable. Number two, choose someone to acknowledge today. Acknowledge their effort and point out how their effort contributes to the success of your company. They will feel great and you might too. And number three, how well are you listening to your team? Do you take time to manage distractions and have good quality one-on-one time with team members? Make time for a one-on-one discussion with your team members and have a focus on unconditional listening for some of that conversation. Make any questions you ask be directly related to what the person has just said. Be very present throughout. Afterwards, ask yourself, did my listening have an impact? If you'd like to learn more about a mastermind program for managers of frontline leaders, please visit workplaceculture.com.au. The link is in the show notes. Our mastermind program guides leaders through a process of developing their frontline leaders and team members. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to hear more conversations with industry leaders, let me know by subscribing on your podcast app of choice and leaving a review. That's all for now. Come back again to hear more conversations on my Workplace Culture podcast.